Hi, I'm Jennifer Wilde, and you're listening to Sober Exposure. If it's about recovery, we're going to cover it. It's like one big therapy session, but it's free. So thanks for joining our dysfunctional family as we uncover recovery with Sober Exposure. Let's go. Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wild. And so I had to invite this guest because this is the way I look at things that if you can't beat them, then have them join you. So what I decided to do is have like the biggest recovery podcast in the world. Come join me. And, and that would be Dopey, Dopey's show. And let me introduce to you, Dopey. Can I call you your real name or what? I don't know. Just don't say my last name and we're good. Oh, I don't know your last you know my name last even. Name? Oh yeah. You can no. call me Dave. Sure. Yeah. All right. So it's Dave Dopey. I actually found you because, and we're going to, she sent you a little message to a little love letter, but I'm not much into podcasting at all. This is kind of like a whole new thing. Like I never even listened to a podcast before. So my girlfriend, I was like, oh, I'm kind of struggling with my program. I, you know, stick of these zoom meetings and I just was having a hard time getting back to meetings. And she's like, well, you should listen to podcasts. That really helps me. And I'm like, I wouldn't even know where to start. So I kind of just like Googled like sober podcasts and you came up. And then the same time, my friend, the same friend was like, you got to listen to this guy, Dopey. His podcast is awesome. So I'm like, all right. So then I listened to one episode and the good addict that I am was after I listened to your episode, it's like, no. Okay. Now I I don't want to just listen to podcasts. Now I have to have my own podcast. So anyway, welcome. Welcome to Sober Exposure. I'm so glad you finally showed up. It wasn't so long. I'm ha- thank you for having me on. I think I think like I I try to like book things and then if work pops up or if I fuck up making the show, then everything changes. So I'm sorry it took me a few extra weeks, but I'm happy to be on and I love that you introduced me so nicely. Um I don't I don't know if it's the number one recovery show in the world. Don't know if that's true, but I'm happy to take the credit. And yeah, just take it and run with it. I'll take it. I I think that you definitely I mean yeah, you definitely have the most significant guests, I would say. I mean, there's not too many recovery shows that that are pulling the guests that you're pulling, you know? I kind of want to make this a how'd you do it podcast. Like, how how do you get all these guests? I'm just kidding. You don't have to give me all this. I'll figure it out on my own. <laughs> but like, we really don't have any game plan here. I never have a game plan basically in life. That's why I did such a good job fucking it up. But I kind of want to start just because I've been listening to your show. Just give me a little like, um, I don't know, Cliff Notes version of you, because I, I have listeners. They probably aren't familiar with you. Just like let everyone know who you are. Well, the story of Dopey is um, it's more tragic than dramatic. And it's like it's it's basically I always wanted to have a talk show. And I did a bunch of TV work when I was a young person. And I kind of became a heroin addict when I was working in television. And when I say kind of, I mean, completely, I became more of a heroin addict than I was a TV producer. And I stopped producing television very early on, but I always wanted to do something, you know, make a show, be entertaining, you know, do something creative. And I always loved talk shows since I was a little kid. And I was a terrible drug addict from age 23 to, I mean, basically to 41, but at age 35, my mother got really sick and I was living in Los Angeles and I moved from Los Angeles back to Manhattan and I got a job at Katz's Deli and I got this 
beautiful girl pregnant and I'm just fucking using heroin and fucked up with a baby. And, um, and basically, uh, I lost cut my girl, my wife caught me using heroin and she left me and I had to get clean and it took me forever to get clean. But while I was getting clean, like she, she wouldn't be with me. And I had a dream of making a TV show. So I made a show at Katz's called the last Jewish waiter. And it was about a waiter who hates waiting tables and he wants to have a show. So he decides to make a talk show while he waits tables. And it was, and I did it while I made tables and, and, and we had some guests and it was very stupid, but funny. And it got a ton of attention. And, uh, and, and a guy I had met at rehab saw the show and more importantly, he saw the attention and he was like, dude, he was like jealous. And his name was Chris. He wanted the attention. And, uh, he was like, what can I do? And I didn't know that he was creative at all, but I did know that he was a terrible drug addict and he was really funny and told really, really crazy addiction stories. And I said, well, I had another friend who, who had years before was like, drug stories are the best stories. And I want to do a podcast about drug stories, but he wasn't a drug addict. So I basically stole my other friend's idea. I asked Chris if he wanted to do a podcast about, you know, basically the show was to be only about war stories. That was our plan. And we were going to call the show war stories. And, uh, it turned <laughs> out there was already a podcast called war stories, which was about military <laughs> stories, which is just like, classic. And then one day he went to my apartment on the Lower East Side to record and we came up with the name Dopey and we just turned on, you know, we didn't have any equipment. Like I was telling you, we recorded it literally on the microphone on his computer. We just talked into his laptop. We talked into his laptop for the first 50 episodes. Um, we didn't get gear until we, we had a good guest. I could kind of tell, like I was listening to the first few and I could tell that you've kind of upgraded a little bit. Are there any like old school episodes of that? Where can we find that? That sounds like that's a brilliant show. Oh, The Last Jewish Waiter is available on YouTube. I mean, Cat's Deli is a pretty famous delicatessen where a lot of celebrities drop by. Do you have any great celebrity appearances? What was your favorite episode of that one? Oh, no, I only did three episodes of that. I did three episodes of that. And then I got into a huge and I was smoking pot and taking pills when we were making it. And I got into this huge fight with my team. And, uh, and I wound up getting a shopping deal with the company that made Anthony Bourdain show. And I got into this huge fight with my friends who I made it with. And I kind of was like, fuck you. And, and then I went to work with the company that made Anthony Bourdain show. And they like, they didn't really get my vision and, and, and the whole thing kind of totally imploded, but they sent me to California to pitch it. And it was like, that was a dream come true. Cause I had always wanted to, uh, to try pitching a show and it was cool. But I was stoned during the whole thing. It was it was pretty it was pretty fucking sad, but like it was amazing too, you know? Was it sort of like that Seinfeld episode where George and Jerry are pitching their show about nothing? You know that episode? You're a Seinfeld fan? Yeah, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. It's like that, except it was way sadder because I was alone. And um and then when I went to pitch, like I was like I was in charge of the pitch and I was stoned and a waiter at Katz's. And I didn't have it was one of the first times I really got the lesson that really life is about being confident. And I think maybe if I had been more confident in that whole process, that I'd be a big TV star instead of a, a middling 
podcaster. But continue, please. Remember, you have the number one recovery podcast in the world, according to uh, you. According to you. Yes. <laughs> I love it. So, all right. So here, here he is. He's, he's pitching this. It doesn't work out. Pregnant wife. Now what, what happened there? I mean, at that point she had, we had broken up, you know, we had a baby and we had broken up and the last Jewish waiter didn't do what I wanted it to do. And I was like a total jerk off, super angry and, um, and very frustrated. You know what I mean? Like nothing, I, things were not going my way. And I, and I, and I start, and I, but I was trying to repair things with, uh, you know, she was never my wife. Uh, she was my baby mama, but I never liked saying baby mama. She was my daughter's mother is what I like to say. You know? Yeah. It doesn't fit us. Baby mama. Yeah. It doesn't, I can't, I can't even say the word really. It was my, it was my daughter's mother and, and we tried to make it work and we went on this trip to uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and she's not an addict, you know, and um, and she brought Xanax to help her sleep, and um, and I felt entitled to her Xanax, and I stole her Xanax, and she got so angry at me, and and she kind of realized that I was still. She kind of had thought that since I wasn't doing heroin, I wasn't really a drug addict. But when I stole her Xanax, and then we hung out some more. And she kind of realized that I was on pills and I was smoking a ton of pot. And she was like, she was, she basically was like, you're not getting custody. We're not getting back together. And that was like the final straw for me in terms of my addiction. And I, and I felt more desperate than I'd ever felt. And, um, and that's when I got sober, really. I, um, I called somebody up and I gave them all my weed and I went to a meeting and, uh, Actually, I went to the meeting first. I went to a meeting and there was a kid at the meeting uh, who was celebrating 10 years and he was like 28. And I was like, you know, Uh, and then I talked to him and he was like, is today going to be your first day? And I was like, I I guess, you know, and it, it turned out to be my first day. I had a cabinet full of pot. Like I had like the stoner, the stoner fantasy that I always had is how I lived. Before I got sober, I had like little jars labeled with the strain and like the whole thing. Like I had a big jar full of like weird edibles. I was like, that was my stoner fantasy finally come true. And like benzos were starting to, to creep back in. I hadn't done heroin in a few years. So I was feeling like I had it under control. But when, um, when it didn't work out with my daughter's mother, it just, I found myself, basically, I found myself writing her this letter begging her to let me smoke weed. Like that was, and that was, I mean, like I never really would say I had a spiritual awakening, but I think if I had a spiritual awakening, it happened in my kitchen in August, you know, almost six years ago, typing a letter to my daughter's mother, begging her to let me smoke weed and sweating. And then seeing myself writing this letter and being like, why don't you try not to smoke weed? Why don't you just finally give into this thing? And that's when I was like, fuck it. And I gave up. Yeah. You just like kind of surrendered at that point. It's, it, it's, it's amazing too, that it was like the weed and, and the Xanax, that was what brought you to your knees and not even the, the, the heroin didn't even, you didn't even stop there. You know, it was like you put down the heroin and then what really got you sober, um, 100% was not even at the, I would imagine not the depths and, and deepest, darkest 
of your addiction because that's with dope, you know? I think it sounds like maybe it was the girl. It was the girl. It was the girl. And it was seeing myself as this father that, uh, that, that needed to do drugs. And my father was a great father and he didn't need to do drugs. And like to see myself in that light, it was like, I had some terrible bottoms on heroin. I had fucked up a ton of shit. But when I, when, I don't know, when I saw myself begging to keep smoking weed and and wanting to be my daughter's father, you know what I mean? Be a good father. It was, that was the, the, the awakening. And then right after that, my friend Chris had gotten sober. He had two years and he had fucked up over and over and over again. He had been to like 15 treatments. He was also a heroin addict and he was also an IV coke addict. And when I finally got sober in the end, I was really desperate um, for some guidance. And I felt like he had the best guidance for me because he had fucked up so many times. And, um, and it was in that period that he was like, again, kind of coveting the last Jewish waiter's popularity. And I said, why don't we start a podcast? And he was like, okay. And he lived in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, and he drove down to the Lower East Side and we just sat down and recorded four episodes. And that's how we started. Wow. Awesome. The early days of Dopey. Like I said, I went back, I listened to uh, some of those episodes and then I listened to the later episodes up until uh, just two episodes ago, Jack Osborne, because obviously I'm obsessed with Ozzy because I'm an old metal chick from the 80s. So, yeah. And Chris, we'll get into that in a minute. That goes goes back to the word tragic again. Uh, So I just want to ask you, baby mama. Are you with her now? What happened there with baby mama? Yeah. Yeah. We actually wound up getting back together. Um, I think when I had like a few months, I think I got, so I got sober in August and I think we got back together in like October or something right afterwards. Okay. And then, and then we wound up having another daughter and buying a house and stuff. So we're still together. That's awesome. That's great. I love that. I, I could just see like, the incomprehensible demoralization, just even just from writing a letter begging someone that you love to allow you to smoke weed. It's like, please, just please just ex- let me smoke pot. It's I, right. I had the same situation before where I would just beg people. OK, so listen, I'm not smoking crack, but I promise you I could drink, you know, and just trying to convince everybody in my life, including myself, that I can drink. And it's like you, you, you can't you can't win because the next thing you know, you're going to be stealing your partner's Xanax and pissing them off, you know, and it's totally. just, it just doesn't, it's just, hard. yeah. So, um, we, we all want to be, I guess you could say California sober, you know, that California sober is just something else where I, we've been talking a lot yeah. about that on our show. Yeah. You know, well, well, we can take psychedelics and still be sober, it, you know, good. All the power to you, man. I know for, I, I know for a fact that if I take a hit of acid, it's not going to go so well. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's not even like, I mean, the way I see it, it's like, I don't know anything, right? I don't know that if I didn't take a hit of acid that I wouldn't be Jim Morrison or if I didn't smoke weed, I wouldn't start writing the greatest music ever. But I do know that didn't happen before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I know that when I <laughs> used to do it, it, it didn't go that way. And I don't, and I'm not willing to, to, I, I, my life got pretty good. I'm not willing to take the risk at this point. That's how I see it. Like, I think it's great, you know, if somebody can do whatever they do. I just don't want to take the risk on it for me. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot at stake. And I, 
I I don't either. <laughs> and I'm I'm a chronic relapser as well. It took me a long time to get like two minutes together. Like my girlfriend, I'm going to play you. Uh, I'm going to play you. Uh, just she wanted to say hi to you real quick. So I'm going to play you a little uh, little little thing. I got together with my friend and we hadn't seen each other in years. I met her 33 years ago when we first both went to treatment for the first time. But she's going to say hi. Hang on one sec. Hi, Dave. It's Laura from New York. Um, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. I was around when uh, Chris OD'd. I actually just recently listened again to um, Annie's uh, talk with you um, about, you know, leading up to his overdose. But uh, besides that, you are with my best friend, Jennifer Wilde over here. I just want to say hi. I think it's great that you guys are communicating and talking and it's fucking great. Laura's got stories. I do. I have serious stories. I've always I wanted to come and stalk you at CAT and put a, a face to your voice. One of these days, one of these days. One of these days, she's going to get you. <laughs> hey, Laura and I, we actually met in um, a halfway house in Minneapolis. When we were 18, they shipped us both off there, and then she stayed sober. How many years? 33 years. Old junkie that I am. Old dopamine. So now we're showing our age, and then uh, we did a lot of things together, like, Went to the Prince concert in Minneapolis in like the second row. Saw a lot of great concerts. The Stones, um, Brett Michaels, The Poison told Laura she had hot legs and did a lot of really cool stuff. She stayed sober for 32 years. I stayed sober 32 days. So anyway, she just wanted to say, hey, absolutely. Take care, Dave. My dog Peace wanted out. to say, yeah, Peace. my dog wanted to say, hey, Toodles. too. <laughs> That was Gizmo, by the way. Gizmo gets uh, real excited when he hears Laura's voice. Yeah, that's uh, that's my good friend, Laura. She totally wanted to say hi. She's such a huge fan. But I, I brought her up because, I mean, she was like, she was a one chip wonder. You know, she just, I mean, we were like kids. We were 18. I met her in this, you know, sober house. She decided she she picked up the big book. She read it. It resonated with her. She kept going to meetings. And it's 33 years friggin' later. And the bitch is still clean, you know? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I love to hear that. I mean, I, it's just, uh, it always makes my day when, when, you know, you, you see numbers or you get some, you kind of think that people are listening or whatever, but it's all like a fantasy until you hear someone say that they listened. And it's always, you know, it's beautiful that she loves the show. It's very painful. Like whenever anybody talks about hearing that show, like after Chris, Chris relapsed. I didn't know he was using and he relapsed and he overdosed and he died. And, um, and I just kept making the show, you know, like he died on a Monday or no, he, I think he died on a Tuesday or I think he died on a Monday. And on the Wednesday I recorded the show with his girlfriend and then I put it out on the Friday. Um, and it's just like, just to hear it, it, it and it's coming up. Like we're, we're almost, uh, three years since Chris died uh, at the end of July. So the summer has become weird for me. You know, it's always like I had another friend die the same summer. I, my other friend, one of my best friends named Todd, who I basically started doing heroin with years and years ago, he died in, uh, in June three years ago. And then Chris died the same summer. It really fucked me up. I know. I mean, the, the longer we stay in this game and the longer either we stay clean or when we go out either way, the more people we see die, you know, and 
what freaks me out is I get like this sixth sense. First of all, I do like, I I'm, I guess I didn't even think about how that was going to affect you bringing that up. Like that must be hard for you right now. You know, that must be hard for you. And it is true because my friend Laura was such a fan and she was like, you have to know this. Like you really do touch people when you have this, you know, venue that we do with podcasting and especially someone like you that has been doing it this many years for so long. Laura, she thinks like she's a part of your lives. Like she was like, listen, I could not wait to listen to the next episode. It was like, I got so addicted because I asked her, I was like, what is it about the, you know, Dopey that you you love listening to so much? She's like, I just felt like I was part of the family. I just got so into everything. I felt like I was a part of it. I I mean, and, and that's when you know that you're doing, you're doing a good job at what you're doing. You know? I love that. I mean, I, I, I basically... The whole thing was me ripping off the Howard Stern show. You know, like I liked the way Howard Stern did it. You know, I felt, I felt like when I listened to Howard that I was there with his friends, you know, and I just, I just wanted people to feel like that with Dopey. And and I think to some extent it worked, you know, our, our fan base is, uh, is vibrant and involved and like active. And, um, I love that. I, I, it, it breaks my, it's like, it warms and breaks my heart at the same time. Yeah, it it is tough. I mean, and like I said, the, the longer you're in this game, the more people, I mean, not necessarily, you know, your best friend or, or your your partner in, in your radio show or podcast or whatever. But it's just I find so weird, like someone will just come to my head and I'll be like, I mean, ask Nick, my producer, he'll tell you just like a couple weeks ago. I was like, you know, remember, remember Julia? Like I haven't seen her post on social media and she's a hardcore addict. And I'm like, I haven't seen her Facebook post in a while. And that always makes me nervous. That always scares the shit out of me. So sure enough, you know, I go to her, there's no post or whatever. And then we Google her name and there's her obituary. Terrible. Yeah. So much, so much of that is what keeps me sober every day. I mean, my dog was barking because my son, who should have probably woken up at a normal, decent hour, but woke up in the middle of the day, like four o'clock in the friggin' afternoon because he's a teenager. He just walked in my room. And uh, the dog barks. And, you know, I have a responsibility right now. And I am a chronic relapser. And I am one that it did not take one, two, three. I could, I could, this is an old AA saying, but, you know, you could, I, you could tile the floor with how many white chips I've had. Do, do they do white chips where you are? Yeah, they do. Absolutely. They, they, uh, it's funny because my meeting, the meeting that I go to, they only give out chips on Sunday. Um, but I'm pretty, you know, I, it's miraculous that I, I used to get white chips like that. I used to get white key tags like that. You know, um, I know exactly what you mean. I walked into my first meeting in 1986. So again, I, I mean, you just heard my friend 33 years. It took me a long fucking time. She has 33 and years. Yeah. Yes. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. We met in treatment together. It, it, it surprises me that somebody with that much time likes dope. That's funny to me. <laughs> I like that though. That makes, that makes me feel good. You know, this, this week on the show, we had, uh, this big movie star, Danny Trejo, and he has 53 years, 53 years. Yeah. You know, when yeah. we started making the show, I had four months when we start the first time we <sighs> recorded, I had four months, you know, and now, now I almost have six years. Muzzle top muzzle. Isn't that funny how every like as soon as we get sober, it's like they say in the big books, like we want to share the news or whatever. It's like as soon as we get sober, everybody wants to start a podcast, you know, four months to start a podcast or everybody like 
on Instagram. I look at these Instagram profiles and they're all about sobriety. And I'm like, wow, this person's got some really good stuff. They must have like 20 years. And then you look and they're like, I'm celebrating 60 days today. You know, it's like, you know, you just jump in. The question I hate the most when people ask me is what are you going to do different this time? Because I don't fucking know. I just know that right now I'm good. You know, I'm not using. And like you said, my life is good. And if I pick up, I don't know what's going to happen. It's Russian roulette. And I don't want to play Russian roulette today. You know? Totally. Just like if you if you could pick out like one of your favorite, most memorable dopey shows, who, who was like your favorite? My favorite was we did a show very, very early on where it was me and Chris and this guy, Ryan. And Ryan was this graphic designer who uh, actually came up with the dopey logo. And, and he was going to be on the show, but that never played out really. He was just at my apartment and we were all talking and my phone rang and it was my friend Todd. And I put him on the show and he didn't know we were doing the show. And he started telling me this story about getting arrested, like waiting to get bud in some project. But I knew that he was really copping heroin. And it was just like, it was just the best because like the show (laughs) for me, the show was about like the dumbest shit I had done with Todd and for him to just call in and not know he was on the show and kick like the greatest dopey story ever was like, that was like, it warmed my heart. So that's my favorite one because it was so real, you know, it was so natural and so real. And my best friend, you know, one of my best friends who's, who's dead now, it was my favorite show before he died. Though I just loved that, that, that moment. And then, and then like with, with, you know, with celebrities, celebrities are weird because, you know, you want it to be great. You know what I mean? Like you want it to be great. Like I spent years uh, trying to get Artie Lang on to come on Dopey. Uh, and I, and I went to great lengths to get Artie Lang to come on Dopey. And, uh, and Chris and I wound up going out to uh, Hoboken, New Jersey to interview him. And it wasn't, wasn't the best experience. You know, it was great that we did it, you know, but in the end it turned out Artie was high when we interviewed him and <sighs> Chris was high. They were both oh, fucking man. high. I was the only sober one. It was a fucking train wreck, but, uh, <laughs> it was cool. You know what I mean? It was cool to do it. Um, I think my favorite celebrity interview would be Mark Marin. Um, you know, I think that was my favorite one. And I think it was my favorite one because we did it in his hotel room. We did it with his gear and he gave me a lot of time. You know, it wasn't like a press junket. It was like, it was so random. Like, I mean, like you asked me how I get my guests and I, I would, you know, the, the best, the biggest guests I've ever had I, I, were basically because of Katz's, you know, um, Jamie Lee Curtis, I'm waiting tables at Katz's and, uh, the maitre d' is like, oh shit, there's Jamie Lee Curtis. So I like, I run outside, I smoke a cigarette and I like kind of act like Bugs Bunny. Like I'm just hanging out. And then she comes <laughs> out. And I was like, hey, you do you want to come on my podcast? And she's like, what's it about? And I told her and she's like, I'm a dope fiend. And I was like, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, we know. And uh, yeah. and, and uh, in the end, you know, she didn't come on. She wouldn't come on. She wouldn't come on the show because we were having too much fun, you know, like around addiction. Um, oh, fake. It wasn't. She didn't. She wouldn't come on until Chris died. Um fucking Bob Forrest. Bob Forrest is like our biggest, 
uh, sponsor. He owns a rehab called Aloe, and they're our biggest sponsor. But I was waiting tables, and I, I see this dude who looks like Bob Forrest, you know, who's a very distinct-looking person. And then it turns out it was him. And he had actually been one of, one of Chris's counselors in, in rehab. And, and he wound up coming on the show. Um, and, and, and Marin, Marin, like after fucking Chris died, I was sure the show was going to die with him. And I was, again, I was at Katz's, I was waiting tables. I was standing by the soup counter to pick up two matzo ball soups. And, uh, <laughs> I served the soups and I went outside, uh, to, to I think I had just stopped smoking. So I was vaping and I went outside to vape and, and Mark Marin comes walking down. And I, and I went crazy and I accosted him in the street and, uh, and he agreed to do the show that week. Yeah. See, you do have, you have the advantage of getting to work there. Yes, absolutely. You do. But still you must have some sort of charisma or some kind of pitch because dude, I worked at a treatment, I worked at a treatment center and there was this guy that worked at the treatment center. I don't know. He just must be a huge dick. I don't know. I'm not, yeah, but he describes the big book in a way that nobody else does. This guy, he is just, he's a presenter. He's a speaker. He's awesome. The big book sometimes puts me to sleep. I want to, it's just a snore fest to me. And this guy makes it interesting. So I can't even get this guy who just, he's just a counselor to treatment, a regular treatment center in West Palm Beach, Florida. I can't even get him to come on my show. <laughs> like I have a podcast where you come on. No. And, and he's getting uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. So there's gotta be something else you're doing, Dopey. Something. Maybe, maybe it's, um, 307 episodes in five years and a lot of hard work. That could be it too. It's 310, first of all. 310 okay. episodes. Ooh. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> what it, I think like I have a decent pitch, but what it is is fucking like stalker level persistency. Persistence. Consistency and persistence. I call it persistency. Um, for <laughs> real. Like I, I'm like insane. I don't stop. You know, I just... And I don't feel particularly good about it, except that I just think that in life, if you keep trying, if you keep doing it, I mean, like, obviously, like if I stop doing my recovery shit, I probably will stop being sober. And if I, if I keep doing it, I get to stay sober and have a good program and a good life and whatever. And it translates to everything, you know, with getting guests, I'm just about it. You know what I mean? And it's, it's draining. You know what I mean? Like it annoys the shit out of me. I, I don't stop. Like you can, you know, you can ask the people that I've gotten on the show. Like it took me like literally Kathy Valentine, who's the bass player for the Go-Go's. She agreed to come on sometime in January. She, she wouldn't, she, you know, like it became like me hunting this poor woman down for, I want to say like 15 months to the point where she was like, I'm not doing it. You know, she was like, stop <laughs> writing me. And I was like, I was like, listen, I don't want to bother you. I, you just said you do it. So I want to like stay with it. And then, and then I was like, you know, I don't mind if you don't do it. I understand whatever. And then she circled back because she had agreed, but like, I just do it all like with fucking crazy persistence. It's like a salesperson. It's like a salesperson, you know, a, a salesperson that's persistent and persistent and persistent until you say, yes, that's how my father was. My father was a very successful salesman and that's, that's how he operated. And that's how I got to drive nice cars and go to nice summer camps and have a nice life. My dad's persistence. Yeah, it takes, it does. It, persistence apparently. But then I get afraid I'm going to piss him off. Yeah, I'm not afraid of that. I don't care. Like, I really <laughs> don't. Like, I, I, it's like, because like, what's the difference? They don't even know who I, I don't care. I get, they don't know who I am. It's like, it's like, 
there are so many people who, um, these people hear from people like us on a daily basis. And then like, and then you just have to just do the best you can. Like, like the other week I didn't have anybody. And I was like, you know what? We, we actually got to the point where like, I, I thought Dopey was going to die. You know, frankly, I thought like it wouldn't keep going and I thought it would lose listeners. I mean, the real thing that happened with Dopey, the reason that people got interested in Dopey is because after Chris died, This American Life did a big piece about us. And, um, and that's what made it interesting to people. And that's why we have millions of downloads because This American Life did this incredible piece about us. And when you write people and you say we're featured on This American Life, Jack Osborne had listened to the episode without before I ever wrote him. You know, he knew mm. the episode. He was like, holy shit, I knew that story. So like, you know, like that was how it worked out in terms of like keeping it going. But I had this thought that the show wasn't even after all that, that I, that I thought we had plateaued. And I think that's another thing just in general, like you can plateau, but then you just have to double down and try to get to the next plateau. So I thought we had plateaued. And I was like, fuck it. Maybe we can just use Dopey to help people and I can give up, you know, on trying to make it this big Joe Rogan fucking for recovery addiction, whatever. Um, and, and we got the idea to start sending people to uh, free treatment. And like last year, we sent 11 people to treatment for free. And I, I don't know, like, and so like the last episode, we didn't have a celebrity. We didn't have a, a big time guest. I went back to three of the people that we had sent to treatment and we heard their stories and it was awesome. Or you could just ask Jennifer Wilde to come on your show and then there you go. There's a slot. There you go. You can cut, you can cut the line. <laughs> no, but that, that is like you were saying, uh, uh, you said that Dopey was just going to be to help people. But I mean, obviously that is helping people anyway, sending people to treatment, regardless whether it is with Chris or without Chris or whatever. You guys were always helping people. Always. It never felt like it, though. It never felt like it. Yeah. Maybe maybe not because it was perhaps, I don't know, just you and your buddy and it was more fun, but you're you're still helping people. You are. You're, you're even helping my friend with 33 years who I keep bringing up. You know, you're helping her. She doesn't really go to meetings. She says she stays, she stays sober listening to podcasts and reading and working out and meditating and all that. What do you do? So you go to meetings. What, what else do you do to help maintain your sobriety besides the podcasting? Every day I, I pray, I meditate, I exercise every morning before I leave. I do all those things. Uh, I go to as many meetings that I can go to. I mean, I probably go to two or three or four meetings in a week. Um, and I sponsor a guy and I have a sponsor that I talk to you know, more when I'm not doing well, but I talk to him at least once a week, if not more. And I, and I'm redoing my steps. So I like, I try to be engaged in my recovery. And I, I mean, like I talk to to addicts all the time because like I produced my, my friend, Sam helps me produce the show. He, and he's an addict in recovery. And, and this guy, DJ, who actually got a dopey scholarship is the head of the dopey sales department. And he's in recovery. And I just deal with a shitload of people who are addicts. And like, so like, let's say I have a problem that has nothing to do with my addiction. And I only talk to people in recovery. You get a lot of recovery. You know, you get a lot of recovery talk. You get a lot of 
uh, the good stuff because they're not, you know, they're like you, you know, they, they're crazy and sickos like you and me. Yeah. Only an addict can understand an addict, really. Seriously. I think it helps. Yeah, it definitely helps. Still going to meetings and all that. I mean, it does mean it, it, it does. There's a lot to be said about that. And I have to listen to that. I got to hear that myself because I'm getting a little squirrely. I've slowed down a little bit. Uh, you know, because what happens is the the podcast and I, I, I rationalize, oh, I, I did the podcast today and I talked to this person, whatever, or I worked in treatment and I cannot replace what I found was you can't replace like even though I'm spending eight hours a day at a treatment center, that's not going to replace recovery. It's not a because I'm with a bunch of friggin sick fucks that are one day sober or one day clean. And I feel the energy of their if anything it made it worse because I would feel they're using energy. And I mean, there were some serious times where some of these chicks would come in to rehab and they had like two days sober or clean or whatever off the street. And I'd be like, wow, I, she's the kind of chick that I would, I would run the streets with. I could roll with her in two seconds, you know? And, um, so yeah, it just, you gotta keep, uh, gotta keep with the winners, stick with the winners, like they say, which I, I hate those slogans, but that's a real one. You know, I hate those slogans too. I, I just think like, you know, the worst slogan that's like the most, accurate is it and it's the most annoying one it's just it, it works if you work it it's real it's like if you do the work it totally works it's and when i wasn't doing the work i didn't even understand what the hell they were talking about you know what i mean i was just like fuck you it works if you work it like every time i heard that i just thought fuck you every time i heard keep coming back i thought fuck you um but the, <laughs> the bottom line is like if i'm doing the work my life is better my sponsor has 17 years right and he said when he had five years, he was feeling crazy and that he didn't really hit a good groove until he had seven or, or something, you know, like, and, and I, I just know that like, if I hang up, it, it's this, I feel the same way about my program as I do about using, which is maybe I'll be okay if I don't go to meetings and I don't pray and meditate and exercise and do those things. Maybe I'll be fine but I don't want to risk it. And, and I've experienced that, it, that I'm not fine, that I drift away from these things and, um, and I'm not as happy, you know, like that's really what I'm about. Like I'm about feeling good, feeling satisfied, feeling happy. And I don't, and, and I find that I feel better when I do more of the, of the, of the work. And like, I don't like being a, a rah, rah programmy person. I hate it, but I really like feeling good. I don't meditate to be like fucking Russell Brand and Russell Brand probably doesn't meditate to be Russell Brand. He does it to feel good, you know, and I do it to feel good. Yeah. You know, it's like it's 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 I don't know. It's weird. It's just it's so fucking weird. I think the weirdest thing is people like you or me who like were did what we wanted to feel a certain way. And, and the only way to get better is by becoming you know, like uh, a spiritual person. And it's such an unnatural transformation. That was like what I wanted Dopey to be, you know, like I wanted Dopey to, to chronicle how odd it was for junkies to become spiritual people, you know? Yeah. And, and it is weird. It's, it's definitely going against the grain instead of me being self-centered and selfish and narcissistic to be like, okay, well, let me think of this person. What, what, let me think of an, let me think of someone else besides myself or even sometimes now when I'm like, well, you know what, if, if I use, I feel like I'm turning my back on God because I actually OD'd 
and God saved my life. And so that's like, that's like saying, fuck you, God, you know, you saved me. And now I'm going to, you know, smack you in the face. What did you owe Dion? Well, I was, it it was fentanyl. It was fentanyl. It was, it wasn't supposed to be, but what was the story? So it started with, I had about nine months sober. And um, when I was in California, this is why I'm so adamant about the California sober thing. I was in California. They got me on this Kratom. All the girls in the program were all going to Kava bars and, and they were taking Kratom. I came back from California. I live in Florida. I went to California to get sober after a bad relapse. And then I came back to Florida. I, I put together about nine months and then it was around the holidays. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm in a vape store looking at the vape juices. And I'm like, you know, I deserve, I deserve, I can take like two Kratom pills. I could just take two. It's fine. It's not going to do anything to me. You know, and my drug of choice is cocaine and I like to smoke it. So I took a couple, I, I buy the Kratom. It took a couple and I take a couple more. And literally within five hours, I was on the street smoking my drug of choice. And then I was up for five days and then I had to come down. So I went to take something to come down, which was, you know, a very strong opiate that we call hair. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to like dance around it, but I, I, I get some heroin on the street to come down. And that's funny, though. Why are you? Dan- why? Why do you want to dance around it? I don't. I've talked, I've talked around, I've, I've talked about this story many times, so I, I don't. I think that's, I, don't. I think it's super funny. <laughs> Look for an opiate we called heroin. I think that's <laughs> very funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, people know me as like, they, they know me as like the uh, alcoholic uh, cokehead, you know? And I don't really talk about, there's two things I don't talk about that often. And that's my eating disorder, which is like crazy, crazy, ridiculous, disgusting. And that I have a history of heroin. Yeah. Um, well, now you have. So that's exciting. Yeah. And so wait, hold yeah, on. So, so you took, you, 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 did, Thank did, you. did you smoke the heroin or did you snort it? No, I snorted it. I snorted and you it. you OD'd. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I was kind of snorting it all day. It was New Year's. It was New Year's Day night. I started um, New Year's Eve day. And I kept snorting it. I kept snorting it. I kept snorting it. And then, like, I remember the last day night. <laughs> yeah, it was said New Year's yeah, Day it was, night. It was January first night. Yeah, New Year's Day night. And I started yeah. New Year's Eve day with the with the heroin. Yeah, I'm with the, you. Like the last thing I remember, I was like standing up. The refrigerator was open, and I was nodding out with the refrigerator open. And then it was like, okay, it's time for me to go to bed. And Next thing I know, I woke up in an ambulance. The person that was sleeping next to me heard me agonal breathing and started performing CPR. And then they called the ambulance. And my um, my son, who was maybe like 13 at the time, was standing over me and I was dead and and all that. Uh, Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. I haven't used since. But, you know, not to be mistaken, because like, please, I know a million people that OD'd and ended up in the ambulance and in the hospital. And and still went out and used like the next day. So because sure. I'm a firm believer that fear is not going to keep us clean and sober. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just know that like if you get to the point where you actually get 24 hours, you know, you can fight for your next 24 hours. And I think it's easier. It becomes easier as you get more 24 hours and the more like things we get to learn, the more suggestions you get from people who are sober, if you take them each 24 hours gets easier, you know, that's how I see it. And, and like, 
I had nothing and now I have a nice life and I have a nice house and I have a beautiful family and I, you know, I have, I have the greatest podcast in the world. So I feel, you I feel do. really good the about it. The number one. Things. Yeah. The number greatest one. and number one. Number, number one. Number one is fucking right. No, I, 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 I have it only because I, because I don't fuck it up. You know, it's only because I'm like crazy and do all the work around everything. And, and, and obviously, um, you know, that is true. And, and like, the more we get squirrely, like the more you got to double down. You don't have, that's my favorite slogan though, is you don't have to do anything. You don't have to not drink. You don't have to not use, you don't have to go to meetings, but you'll fucking, your whole life will get bad. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. You don't, I, I like that. Too. You don't have to do anything. You could do nothing and then you get nothing or you get yeah. high. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that, yeah. But what does that give you? Right. It gives you a ride in the ambulance or your mugshot all over. Um, this is another old Gen Wild story that everyone knows is I was, my career was in the toilet. Finally, someone gives me the chance to get back on the air at this big radio station in Miami. It's a family station, though. So she's like, you know, everyone knew I'm a kind of a prima donna, but she's like, listen, I'm going to give you a chance. I know you can do this. You're not going to disappoint me. Well, the night before I start at this big, huge radio station, I get arrested for uh, crack and my mugshot is all over the news, all over the media, everywhere, all over the Internet, everything. Probably one of the I, I would say that that was the worst day of my life. That day that I got out of jail and I checked my phone and I saw all of the messages, all the texts, and I, I, I Googled myself and that mugshot, that ugly mugshot was everywhere. And then people are making memes out of it. It, it don't easy. play, man. Mm -mm. No, I get it. <laughs> and we were talking about it. this too. Upper, upper middle class Jewish girl, you know, like uh, from the Midwest. It doesn't discriminate. You know, my mother is no longer with us. And she used to always say, I wonder how many mothers that, you know, that, that have to deal with what I have to deal with. I'm like, I'm sure plenty, mom, plenty of mothers have to deal, but probably not in our community where we grew up because that just wasn't around. No. You know, it's, it's more than she thinks. It's like it's all over the place. I used to think that, too. It's just there are people don't realize how few Jews there actually are. You, you imagine there's a shitload of Jews everywhere, but there really aren't. It's like, I think the Jewish population of the world is like one and a half percent of the world. I think it's 3% of America. So like, I think with those ratios, I think there's a lot of Jewish crackheads and junkies out there, but I think it's because the percentage of Jews is so small that it doesn't seem like it. That's my, that's my theory. Yeah. That's not enough of a sample size of Jews. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, sort of, kind of, because but I can guarantee you that this little Midwest community that I grew up in um, out of my like, let's say my high school graduating class. Right. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. You don't know. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors. But I have a feeling that there weren't too many people that were doing what I was doing, <laughs> really. But well, uh, who knows? find Maybe. out. Take a poll. Take a take a sense. Yeah. Let's find out. Do you guys have any cousins who are fucking crackheads or heroin addicts or alcoholics <laughs> that they don't tell anybody? Yeah. Stoners. A lot of stoner Jews. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. And stoner talks. Jews are everywhere. I mean, because they all go to college oh. and they, you know, they, they they all all my friends. I was a metalhead. All my friends would they they'd go to these, you know, great colleges and everything. And they'd come back with tie dyes, listening to the Grateful Dead smoking weed, you know, be like, what the hell happened to you? I remember when you were listening to Metallica. Come on, man. What? Exactly. Exactly. I also thought that I was the majority growing up because it was so predominantly Jew. It was predominantly Jewish and black. That it was like the, a pretty interesting combination. 
So I thought that everybody in the world was either Jewish or black. I didn't realize that like we were the minorities. Well, in New York, I mean, it's like crazy Jews here, but it's like once you're outside of the city, once you're outside of the state, there's not that many Jews. Um, but nobody wants to hear Jews talk about Jews. Like they, they, they hate us, Jen. Don't, I know. We shouldn't, I mean, should, don't admit, don't admit, don't tell them that you're Jewish. It's been, it's been, the, that's why Steve-O, Steve-O won't come on Dopey because I'm Jewish. I'm sure of it. Certain of this. No, really? What? No, no I'm really? not. I'm just kidding. I'm, to, no, I'm totally oh. kidding. I'm sure, I'm sure Steve-O loves Jews. It's just my, I'm sure, I'm sure he loves Jews. Totally joking. I'm like, I'm, I'm totally in denial. I am. But I do know, I, I do know that, all right, we're, we're not going to talk about that anymore. We're going to talk about just, you know, recovery. We're going to talk about how we're going to get uh, Bob on my show. I'm just going to, hey, we're going to talk. Oh, you know what we're going to talk about? Hunter, my, my son just walked in here and he's a big Knicks fan. You, you like the Knicks, right? Okay. You're a Knicks fan, right? Aren't you a Knicks fan? I'm a crazy Knicks fan. I'm a crazy Knicks fan. Oh, yeah. Crazy Knicks fan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hunter, what, what do you want to say to my friend about the Knicks? He's a sick Knicks fan. They shouldn't trade RJ for Dame. I don't know what that means. That's like my grandmother talking about the uh, Black Sabbath album. He's got a good point. He's got Does a good he? point. But I, I don't think the Knicks are going to be stupid and do the same thing that they did before. I, I have faith. I, I'm, I'm sick with it. I, I have faith. But I appreciate Hunter's point. Okay. So, so he does have a good point. Okay. It's good to know he knows what he's talking about. I, I know he, he, like, he can go back to, he could tell you everything from the 70s up until now. Okay. He, he plays guitar. He's pretty mean on the guitar too, but yet he can't figure out a geometry problem for, for the life of you. He can't get his ass to school, but I can't be mean about that because he did just get a job and he's bringing in like nine fifty an hour, which is better than his mama. So he's doing good. <laughs> well, here's, here's to Hunter. I, I, we, we yeah. commend Hunter. He needs to find yeah. what he likes. You know what I mean? Let him find what he likes. You know, he doesn't like geometry. Yeah. Fuck it. I didn't like geometry either. Yeah. Of course, nobody likes geometry. I don't. Yeah, no, he he will find his way. I mean, listen, it can't be easy for the kid. I raised him. My ex-husband raised him, you know, two complete friggin crazy drug addict, alcoholic nutsos. And I think I'm doing pretty well, you know, but um, he sounds like a nice kid. He, he's a great kid. He I, 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 I hit the jackpot. He's a really good kid. He's a great kid. You're, you're, you're a good kid too, Dopey. Thank you for coming on my podcast. I can't even tell you how appreciative I am, really, seriously. No problem, but you can call me Dave. No, you can call me Dave, Dave. right? You can call me Dave. Okay. D- D- you can call Dave's me Dave. not here. Nobody, I, don't, I don't think anyone's called me Dopey, but I, I get it. Really? It's like, it's like a weird thing. Never. Nobody. Yeah. People, you know, Bob Forrest, Bob Forrest started calling me Dopey Dave, which I decided I didn't like. Um. <laughs> But, uh, but mostly people just call me Dave. Okay. That's cool. All right. Yeah, no, that's a, it, a do, I, I don't think I'd want to be called dopey Dave either. I shouldn't, I should embrace all of it. I should just embrace well, all of it. It's just because my girlfriend started with dopey, dopey, this dopey, that dopey, this she refers to you as dopey and she's the one that introduced me to you. So it's sort of like when you're first, you know, that that's just kind of like how I got to know you through that. So it's sort I get of like, it. I get it. Cause it's, when yeah. people listen to the show, they're listening to Dopey. They're not listening to Dave. They might be listening to Dave on Dopey, but you're not saying, yo, I just listened to Dave. You say, I'm li- I just listen to Dopey. Absolutely. Right. Right. I totally agree. I'm with you. So uh, our, our good friend from House of Pain, I, I love what he's doing with The Outsiders just because I was such a fan of that, that movie because it was all the hot boys when I was in high school, you know? 
Actually, one of my, my sister, my sister, my sister loved that movie. Fucking when, when Danny boy, when Danny came on dopey, we didn't know he was a drug addict. First of all, it was like, it was a total one of those moments. And, uh, and at the end of the show, he's talking about the outsiders museum and Chris, Chris didn't know what the outsiders was. Chris didn't know anything. Chris did not know anything about music or pop culture. And Chris pretended like he knew what the outsiders was. And it was the funniest fucking thing ever. I got I got I I got to go back and listen to that. That's freaking just knowing that knowledge now that he didn't know and listening to him talk about it. Knowing that he didn't know is that's so funny. That's why is that? Oh, God, I wish I could remember the movie or something. It was a Friends episode that I just saw recently where Joey Triviani was pretending that he knew what they were talking about and he had no idea. Yeah, there's just one more thing I had to say. Did you hear the promo for um, Chandler? Why can't I remember his name? What's his name again? Matthew Chandler. Perry. Matthew Perry, yeah. Do you, do you think he was fucked up? Did you hear the promotions? He was like slurring. I them. didn't hear it. I know oh he's, my God. he's, he's, I know he's one of us. I was listening to Howard Stern and Howard Stern said that, uh, on the friends reunion that, uh, that Matthew Perry said, nobody calls him and, uh, they all call each other, but they don't call him. And, I, and, and Ooh. Howard's like, I don't know why. And it's like, because he's a drug addict, he's a freak and, and they don't, they don't like him. You know what I mean? And that's why, like, that's somebody who like, I want to get him on dopey so bad, but like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't even know where to start. That'd be a tough one. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't be a drug addict around Jennifer Aniston, America's sweetheart. I mean, can you imagine? I can't believe that, Ch- that he actually, Matthew Perry, showed up fucked up in front of Miss Princess, Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you. You just got to hope that he walks into Kat's uh, deli. You know, that'd be great, huh? But I'm never, I'm never there anymore. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how... Like I, I haven't, I, I stopped waiting tables years ago. So I've just been using like the old school sort of trying to find people's rep- representation and writing them or whatever. Like I haven't been running into people. We'll just say that. Also with COVID, nobody's out anywhere. Everyone's wearing a mask. Yeah. Can't recognize anybody anyway. I mean, when I was like 11, I was so innovating. I met every single rock star you can imagine when I was 11 years old, because there was this Marriott that was like right within bicycle riding distance from my house. And we figured out that there were tour buses and that every time there was a band in town that they would stay at that Marriott and we would cut class. I mean, so when I say like I was a groupie out of the bar, like I started young riding my bicycle to this hotel and I met everybody you can imagine having nothing to do with my radio career. I met everybody before I was 16. So I guess like, I don't know, like hotel, you can't really hang out at hotels. You can't do that shit anymore. That was, that was an old, that was, that was the old days. Yeah. Totally. Sad. It's a different world. Amazing. So I'm so glad I met you. I want to give you a hug and I'm definitely grateful that you came on and shared your story and shared about Chris. It's amazing. You do have a great message. And for one second, don't think that you're not really impacting people because you are. Nice. I appreciate that. Yeah. If anything, I hope that's what you got out of today that, I mean, you're even, you're impacting people with 33 years sober. Yeah. 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 So she's going to be so excited. Well, tell Laura, thank you. Laura's listening. Laura, thank you. Yeah. She's going to be dying. (laughs) All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks again. And um, thanks again. This is Sober Exposure with Jennifer Wilde. 
and have a great week. Need more? Of course you do. The show's all about needing more. Go to my website at soberexposure.show or get stuck on my Instagram at soberexposure underscore podcast. <laughs>